So this morning we're going to read from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. A very familiar passage of scripture. And it simply says, you are the light of the world. Everybody say, I am the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so Jesus is talking to his disciples who recently started following him, and he said that you are the light of the world. You are a city set up on a hill. He instructed us to not hide our light, but to let it shine before men so that they may see your good works that will glorify the Father. Everybody say good works. I will be seen as a follower of Jesus. These disciples had to understand that I will be seen as a follower of Jesus no matter where I go, no matter the circumstances of life, I have to be a light to the world. And Jesus says, don't hide your light away. Don't hide what I have given you, but let it be seen, let it be known to your world around you. Jesus tells us to do good works or good things or good deeds so that others can see and they may glorify God. We don't do good works for our own selfish ambitions, but we do good works so that God may be glorified. Too many times I see, I see Christians and I see myself sometimes, I'm more caught up in the glorification of myself in my good works, whereas how much glory am I allowing God to receive through what I've done? I may have, I may have given Sister Kreitz a, a beautiful candle, but... Was, was this whole thing about me or was I, was I letting God be glorified? What, what is happening in our actions? Are we allowing God to be glorified or are we the ones that are getting the attention? And so we are called to be difference makers in our communities and in our culture. If your culture or your, your community never sees you, then how will you reach the lost? If you are not being a light that is visible to your world, then how are we able to be captivated, or how are we able to captivate our culture? How are we able to, to grasp the attention of a culture that is readily becoming more and more and more distant from it being able to, to maintain attention? Think about the attention span that has been just degraded and degraded by social media, by, te- by television. How are we able to captivate our culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ? We are all called to influence our culture with tools, with experiences, with our testimony. The Bible says that we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. I think we've got the first part right. We know that God, that Jesus died on the cross and he paid the ultimate price for sin. We're good with that. But are we overcoming by the word of our testimony? That means I have to tell somebody what God has done for me. So we're called to influence our culture with the experiences and the testimonies and the Holy Spirit that God has given us. So my message to you this morning is don't let our culture captivate you. Instead, you should captivate the culture. Be a church in action, a church that is engaging our culture and our community. 
The world should be captivated by your lifestyle. They should be captivated by the works and the good things that you do. They should be captivated by your powerful prayer and spiritual authority. Just as the disciples responded to Jesus when he miraculously began to walk on water and marveled and they said, what manner of man is this? This is not something that a human be- a regular human being can do. What manner of man is this? So should our community marvel at the power of the Holy Spirit active in this church and active in your life so that they say, what manner of man is this? This is something I've never experienced before. And so God has called us to be seen. He's called us to be a light that is not hidden and shown to others. And what good is a light if it's never seen? God has called us to be influencers and people of impact in our culture, and he has called us to be a church in action. And so today I want to cover, for the next 25 minutes or so, I want to cover four key elements, four key steps on how we can engage our culture. So first, let's talk about what that word culture means. Culture is defined as the customary beliefs, social forms, and material traits of a racial, religious, or social group. It's also defined as the characteristics and the features of everyday existence shared by people in a place or time. So a culture could be an example of the laws that we have, of the language that we have and share, of the way we dress, of social standards. This morning, you probably shook a couple of hands this morning. That's a part of our our culture. Culture can be the media that we consume or the music we listen to or traditions. It could be our religions. Examples of culture, you can go on and on and on. And then you have subsections of culture. So you have very specific things like pop culture, internet culture. You have music culture. You have counterculture. So those who like to go against the grain, you have church culture, right? So there's, there's all these different specific subgroups of what culture is identified as. And when we talk about culture, all these different aspects are considered, and we are to engage our culture. So we are engage all, our laws, our music, our, our social, we are to, get, to engage every aspect of our culture with godly principles, with the Holy Spirit that is living and working through us on a daily basis, we are to engage and to confront our culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to use the tools, the experiences, and the testimonies that God has given us. So what does it actually mean to engage our culture? Well, other ways that you could say that would be we, to, we are to immerse our culture with the gospel. We are to fascinate our culture with the gospel. We are to show interest in our culture with the gospel. We are to involve our culture with the gospel, and we are to captivate our culture with the gospel. Now, all of these require action on our part in order for us to be seen by our culture and the people of the world. And that's not going to happen if we just come to Sunday school and go out to eat and don't talk to anybody and go home and take a nap. Now, I tell you what, that sounds, to my flesh, that sounds awesome. You know, sometimes we talk about, my wife and I talk about our social tokens, right? I start the day with about five social tokens. I've already spent one of them this morning. 
I'm gonna have about two left after service is over. And so by the end of the day, sometimes I'm just spent, right? So that sounds good, going home and taking a nap with a full belly. But God has called us to do more than that, right? Now, how are we to engage our culture if we are to be separate from our world? That, that's, you know, we talk about we are to be in the world but not of the world. I thought we were to be separate from the world. Well, John chapter 17 and verse 15 says, this is Jesus talking. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So how do we maintain that line between, between being in the world, but not of the world? How do we maintain that balance of engaging and confronting and being a part of our culture without actually being of the world, as the scripture says? How do we engage our culture without conforming to it? And how do we bridge the gap between culture and truth? We're going to look at a story this morning in Acts about Paul. Paul, someone who engaged his culture and being a part of the church in action. Everyone say that again, the church in action. So in Acts chapter 17, we can find Paul. He is continuing his travels He's planting new churches, and he's revisiting existing churches that he started, and he's engaging with non-believers with the gospel message. So we're going to look at the second half of Acts chapter 17 and identify four ways which we can engage our culture. And so Paul finds himself in Athens, Greece. Now, that's not Crete, that's not Spain, but Athens, you know, pretty great, pretty great city to be in. Athens during this time was the Mecca of, of social standards. It was the Mecca of law, of art, of expression, of philosophy. Athens was the, the hub of culture. And so Acts chapter 17 and verse 16 says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. So Paul is in distress. It says he is stirred in his spirit because he sees the state of the culture of Athens. He sees the wickedness and the idolatry. He sees the things that they're giving their time and attention to in this city. He is stirred in his spirit. If our spirits this morning aren't provoked because of the sin in our culture, and we are not burdened because of it, then perhaps we've become too acceptant of it in our own lives this morning. Paul was stirred in his spirit when he saw these things. Are we stirred in our spirit when we see the things happening on the news, on social media, in our schools, in our, in our families? So the, the first step to engaging our culture is we have to have a burden for our culture. We have to be burdened by our culture. We can go on in Acts 17 and verse 17. It says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. So he's in the marketplace. He's in the synagogues. He is there talking to Jews and devout persons. He's talking to Stoics. People like Aristotle and Plato, these are men of great philosophy. He's talking to people 
that are very, very knowledgeable of, of the world's philosophies. And he's conversing with them. And some of these people said, what does this babbler, they called him, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities or foreign ideas because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19 says, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying strange things in our ears. The Areopagus was a, a, a place on top of Mars Hill. It was the central meeting place for ideas and debate and for exchange of goods and ideas. So Paul is in the central most cultural epicenter of Athens, the most prominent city in the world for their culture. He is in the heart of the city, engaging with the most learned and knowledgeable men in all of the planet. And he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's in the Areopagus and he's saying, may we know what, what this new teaching is that you are presenting? These people said, may we know what this is? Can you tell us about this? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, in the central meeting place of the, of the Athenians, he could have sat idly by as he was waiting for his next boat out of Athens. He could have sat idly by and enjoyed the pleasures of the city. He could have engaged with these people and, and taken on their ideas. But no, that's not what the scripture says he did. He didn't seek out their idols. He didn't say, well, let me see what this is all about. I've never been to Athens before. He didn't say, well, I can still worship God and look at this idol from time to time. He didn't say that. He didn't partake in the materialism and the pleasures that the culture may have put before him. Walking into the marketplace of that city, I'm sure he saw many things that probably caught his eye and that were a temptation to him. But his spiritual foundation was securely built on a relationship with Jesus Christ so that his burden for righteousness was greater and overthrew any desire of the flesh. Is our burden for righteousness greater than the desire of our flesh? And so Paul's burden for his culture sparked action because a burden is pointless without action. You can, all day we can feel, oh God, I, I, I feel for this situation, I'm burdened for it. But if I don't do anything about it, that burden's pointless. If we are silent about the truth, then our culture will not change. And often, and I'm talking to myself this morning, often I am quick to point out the faults of the world and the sinful nature of men by saying things like, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. This world is so messed up. And while that may be accurate at times, instead of shaking my head, in a holier-than-thou attitude and disgust at our culture, we must be burdened to action. We must be burdened to action so that we must engage our culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the first step is we have to be burdened for our culture. And in order to have effective action in reaching our culture, we have to be aware 
of our culture. Back in our story in Acts 17, Paul is standing in the midst of the Areopagus, in the midst of this central meeting place. And he says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. He didn't say spiritual. He didn't say spirit-filled. He said religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription that says, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim. So he says, you, you guys are almost there. You're very religious. You believe in something bigger than yourself, but you're worshiping an unknown God. Paul, it says that Paul perceived that in every way they are religious. So what does that mean? That means that Paul was aware of the culture. He knew what they believed. He was informed and aware of the culture in Athens. He knew their tendencies. He knew their beliefs. He knew what ideas were trending in their society. He even knew the idols they had. It says that he beheld their devotions in the King James. In other words, he saw the things which they were devoted to. He saw their idols. He even knew about their philosophies to the point of speaking to them in the middle of a crowd on top of this hill. You see, Paul was not unfamiliar with their culture. However, he did not accept it for himself. That's the key difference. And instead, he addresses them and calls them out on their inconsistencies. In fact, the context in which he spoke with these philosophers was in their own arena in which they most commonly debated these ideas. So Paul didn't stay within the confines of his church. No, he went to where they were. He went to the place in which they were worshiping an unknown God and said, you guys are worshiping something you don't even know about. He went to their arena on Mars Hill. He went to their turf where he knew he would have the ear of the people. He, know, he knew that those Stoics and philosophers weren't going to come into his church. So he went to them. How burdened for righteousness and burdened for the gospel are we? And are we willing to actually take it to the places where we can have the ear of the people that need to hear it? Paul met these people where they were. And we can see that Jesus did the same thing throughout the Gospels. When he first met Peter, who was a fisherman, and asked him to follow him, he did it out on the waters in a boat. Jesus met Peter within his cultural confines. He met Peter where he was in the water. He did the same thing with the woman at the well. Jesus didn't meet her in the temple or in a synagogue, no, he met her at the place that he knew she would be, which was the well. So the point is, is that we are gonna to have to get outside of our comfort zone and meet people where they are. Whether it be at school, whether it be at a coffee shop or on our job, whether it be at the grocery store, whether it's online, we have to go to where people need to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We have to identify and understand the importance of connections and relationships. Because Sister Pearl, if I just come up to you on the street and I just start yelling the gospel to you, you may receive that, may, you may be, 
But likely, you're probably going to be like, okay, this guy is kind of creeping me out, and you're going to walk the other way if I have my megaphone in your face, right? So we have to understand the importance of connecting with people and having a relationship with people. I love cornbread and beans, Brother Baker. Let's get together and have some. And then let's talk about, let's talk about Jesus, right? I can't say I'm going to go to Spain or Crete with you, Sister Kreitz, but we'll figure something out, right? We have to connect with people and go to where they are and develop relationships with them. We're not just trying to sell something to them, but we're trying to connect with them on a spiritual level and say, say, you know, brother, tell me, tell me about how's your day going? How's the job going? What's the family up to? Like, what do you like to do? Let's hang out. Let's go fishing. We have to connect with people and be sincere and genuine because our love for our culture equates to our love for people. If we don't love people first, there is a very slim chance that you're gonna be able to reach them with the message that they need to hear. Now, I'm not saying the gospel is limited to what you can do, but we have to realize the importance of connecting people with people and developing real, genuine relationships with them. And I'm guilty of this like almost every day of the week, but I'm tired of going up and saying, how are you, Brother Peffer? Right? That's, that's a common phrase we use. How you doing? Drove through the drive-thru the other day getting a, getting a sweet tea at McDonald's. Hey, how are you? Has no impact. Let's, let's change that up. Hey, is your day going well? Tell me about it. You know, there's, there's things that we can do that are intentional, that are different than the normal conversation starters that will, people will say, oh, that guy's actually interested in me. That guy actually cares about how my day's going. Now, I may, that may be a five-second interaction, but maybe there are some people in here who frequent a drive-thru, you know, a couple times a week. I'm not going to call any names or any, any franchises out, but I know there are some people in here who spend about $6 at a place in Marion uh, with a very highly caffeinated drink almost every day. And I guarantee you that those baristas know when that person comes through because they see them every morning. So maybe it's a 10, 15 second interaction, but what can you do to stand out and to make an impact to those around you? So we have to be burdened for our culture. We have to be aware of our culture. And the next, we have to confront our culture. Understand first, before we move on, that Paul positioned himself in an arena that gave him a platform to be heard. Now, he wasn't in the temple. He wasn't in the church. He was in a place surrounded by ungodliness. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But he positioned himself to have a platform and have the ear of the people. I think that we need more Christian, gospel-believing people, apostolic people involved in our civic duties, involved in our community involved in our local government, involved on our school board, teachers, so that we can position ourselves to have a platform to be an example to people, to spread love and to spread the gospel to people. And we have to do that within the cultural confines that our, that our society provides to us. We have to be a church in action. So the third thing is we have to confront our culture. 
And Paul gives us a real-life example of how to confront our culture with the truth. Continuing back in Acts chapter 17 and verse 24, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it. So this is, this is after Paul said, you're worshiping a God you don't even know. Let me tell you something. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And so Paul, as he was in the deepest realm of Athenian culture, at the highest physical and and social platform, not only was he at their central meeting place, but this was literally on top of a hill. He was at the highest place he could be within that society. He confronts the ignorance and the misunderstanding and the lies of the enemy with the truth about the nature of who God is. He says, God made the world and everything in it. And this temple that you've constructed, this Areopagus, God doesn't have to live in this temple. God does not live in temples made by man, he says. Unlike their statues, God is not bound to a building or in need of anything, but rather God is the giver of life and has put everything into existence. And so Paul confronts the culture with the truth. He calls out their misunderstandings and their ignorance. And he does it in a way that is received. And he says that this is actually who God is. And for us this morning, ultimately, if we are going to reach our culture, yes, we have to love them. Yes, we have to connect with them. We have to be aware of them. We have to know what they think and believe. We have to be burdened for them. But ultimately... In order to engage our culture, we have to tell them the truth. Because all those previous steps will fall at the wayside if we aren't preaching the truth to them. If we, if we do all of those steps but never preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them, what have we done? Yeah, you may have a new fishing buddy, but if you never tell them about Jesus, then what's the point? And so God has called us to do more than just the things we talked about. He has called us to tell them the truth. Verse 27 says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each, on, uh, each one of us. Verse 28, one of my favorite verses says, for in him we live, move, and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, For we indeed are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or imagination of man. So Paul shares the glory and the truth of God and speaks about his sovereignty. And he says that God defines your very being. In him we live, we move, and we have our being. We are in existence and breathe and live because of God. God is not something that you've imagined or you've written about or you've painted about, but God is the giver of all life. The world needs to know that they can find their purpose in Jesus Christ this morning. Our culture loves to champion the phrase, follow your heart. 
We've all heard that before. But the Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked and none can know it. But the Bible says, and the gospel says, that your purpose will be found not in following your heart, not in chasing worldly success and fame or fortune, but it will only be found at an altar of repentance. It will be found in your daily prayer life. It will be found in reading the scriptures, in fasting and giving every part of yourself to him, the giver of life. And so we must confront our culture with this truth. And lastly, once we've been burdened for our culture and we're aware of our culture and we've confronted the culture, we've got a witness to the culture. Like I said, none of those things matter if we never tell them about Jesus. So the story goes on in Acts 17, verse 30, with Paul. It says, the times of ignorance that God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That's the first step right there, right? Paul says he's called everybody everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That's the gospel. When Jesus was on earth, he understood that his purpose was to suffer, die, and to rise again. And this morning we have to understand what our purpose is. Go into all of the world, teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which we know is the name of Jesus Christ according to Matthew 28, 19. That is our purpose this morning. That is our purpose. We have to witness to our culture. This morning, I challenge you to understand and to realize that you are responsible for witnessing to your culture. While we may share similar cultural traits, when we live and we exist within the same culture, we're all here in the same building, your culture looks different than my culture. You were raised differently than I was raised. You were raised in different economic circumstances, in different family circumstances. So we may share a lot of things in common, but there are people in your life that only you can reach. There are people that relate to only what you've gone through. I may not be able to relate to some of the people that you relate to, Brother Pepper, but that's okay because God has called you to witness to that person. He has called you to witness to your culture. God has placed us here for such a time as this and is calling us to gain a burden for our culture. He's calling us to be aware of what our culture believes and the inconsistencies of it. And he has called us to confront it head on with the truth of who God is. And he has called us to share the saving message and the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone that we can. God has called us to be the church in action. He has called us to engage our culture. So this morning as we stand, as we close our lesson this morning, first of all, thank you for your time and attention. I just want to go into a, a time of prayer this morning as our service begins. Service begins in about 17 minutes. So I want to spend the next few minutes just praying over the word that we've received this morning. Praying and analyzing our own actions, our own habits, the way that we spend our time and reflect on what the Bible tells us in the story of Paul and reflect on how we can be burdened for our culture, how we can be aware of our culture 
And then I want us to pray that God would give us strength and boldness to confront our culture, to build relationships with people so that we can witness to our culture and share the gospel.